your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 33. Back around the year 2012-2013, my mom was diagnosed with some form of dementia. And some months or years before that, we would go to lunch and she would talk to me and we'd laugh and cut up and, and then she'd say, she'd get serious and she'd say, I'm forgetting things. And I go, it's okay, Mom. We all forget things. You know, and she, this message got more and more every time we went to lunch. She was forgetting names. She was forgetting phrases. She was losing things. And then finally it got to the point where she was getting lost when she was driving somewhere where she had been hundreds and hundreds of times before. Finally, it got to the point where she tried to hide her problem from everybody because she was embarrassed. She wouldn't talk as much to people because she would forget words. Well, one night my mom called me. Um, she, help me. She had fear in her voice. And she said, when, when I got over there, she said, can you come over? So I went there. And when, she, when I got to the door, she said, there is a man in this house that I do not know. That man was my father. I, I was in shock. And then I remember another time, 2015. I took my mom to the hospital. Um, she was having some problems with her stomach. And when we finally got a room, it was like 1 a.m., and we started talking about heaven. And, and I told my mom, I said, Mom, when you get to heaven, you are going to remember everything. And you know what? Even now, Mom, if you forget about God, He will never forget about you. And, and I left that night. She had the biggest smile on her face. Well, in early 2017, my mom's condition deteriorated greatly. She was starting to wander. She went out the door one morning around 2 in the morning and started walking down the street, out, went out the door. My dad didn't know it. And a neighbor saw her and brought her back. So we had to put an alarm system on my dad's house to keep her from doing that. And then she started falling and hurting herself. And many times she would sit for hours just staring off into space, not saying a word. This was not my mom. This is a woman who could fill a room with laughter and joy. This was not my mom. So she started ending up visiting hospice and at that point, I was praying, God, 
please end this. End the suffering. Please take my mom home. But the suffering continued. And God waited. And God waited. I'm glad I could make it through this. Um, Today we're going to talk about trials. And guess what? We are all going to face trials in this life. It's not if, it's when. Okay? It's not if, it's when you're going to face them. And we're all going to face them. And So I'm going to talk about trials this week and next week and, and how we can face trials without fears, without doubts, without worries, without even pride. Because God wants us to face the trials with faith, trusting in Him and trusting no matter what we see and no matter what we face that God is good. He is always good, even when it doesn't look like it. Even when it doesn't look like it. Providentially, David preached last week on Psalm 93. We didn't plan this. He preached on Psalm 93. And in that sermon, one of the main points was that the Lord Jesus Christ reigns. He reigns over heaven and earth. He reigns on his throne, even now. And nothing happens in your life that happens by chance. There is no such thing as bad luck. It's all part of God's plan in which he is working all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And what's his purpose? That we become more like him. So let's look at this passage, Matthew 14, starting in verse 15. This is the word of God. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over the broken pieces, over the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There, was, there were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. And while he sat, while he sent the crowds away. And after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. On the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. 
But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. First thing that we're going to look at this morning is growing faith, trust in God's sovereignty. Growing faith, trust in God's sovereignty. We just saw Jesus perform a miracle in this text. He fed 5,000 people, and it says there were women and children there too, so there were probably 20 to 25,000 people that Jesus fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. And the people were so astounded, this group, 20,000 people, were so astounded with this miracle that they knew, they knew without a doubt that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the King of Kings, that he was the prophet to come. Okay? And, and so they were ready. They were ready to crown him. They were ready to get things going. Let's put Jesus as king. That's what it says in John 6, verse 14. It says, When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him, you hear this? Take him by force. To make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So when you have a crowd of 20,000 people wanting to make you king, that's kind of hard to stop, right? But Jesus stopped them. He probably said, no, 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 no. Not going to be king. Not yet, right? And then he sent the disciples away. He sent the disciples away. He didn't want them being, uh, they, he didn't want them being filled with the ideas that this crowd was proposing. They were probably thinking that way too. So he sends the crowds off, and he sends the disciples off. Look at what it says in verse 22 and 23. Immediately, immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. So he makes the disciples go. You know, he doesn't ask them. He says, go. He wants them separated, right? And so here are the disciples. Can you imagine them hearing the crowd, hearing everybody say, let's make him king, let's make him king, let's make him king, right? And they're all getting pumped up. And then Jesus says, no. So here are the disciples thinking, Jesus could be king. Jesus could take over. Jesus could destroy Rome's rule. We would have peace. We would have tranquility. Let's do it, right? And Jesus sends them out into a boat. So they're thinking, we're going to be princes, and now they're paupers in a boat 
on the Sea of Galilee. You know what? They were probably confused. They were probably discouraged. Maybe depressed. You know, they had these great expectations going in their mind and then they weren't fulfilled. You ever had that happen to you? I just did last night. I was watching a football game. You know, I had great expectations. This is going to be a winning season, right? And then, wow. And then what happens? You think, what's going to happen the rest of the year? Man, it doesn't look good. Or either that or Georgia is very good, right? Good defense. Um, So you have expectations, and then they get dashed. And And that's what happened to the disciples. They're, they're in the boat, and they're depressed, and Jesus sends them off, and then he goes to the mountain to pray. Look at verse 24. But the boat was already a long distance from land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So Jesus sends them off to go from one side of the Sea of Galilee, from the northeast side, to the northwest side, to the little town of Capernaum. And it's about a five-mile trip. It usually takes one to two hours sailing, okay? And they were in this boat, and they were many stadia away from land. In John, it says they were three to four miles already. So they were more than halfway there. And at this point, it says the disciples had been in the boat approximately nine hours because it was the fourth watch. The fourth watch is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., okay? So they had been in the boat for about nine hours. And the boat was being battered, it says in verse 24, it was being battered by the waves. What does that mean? It means the the hull of the boat was being slammed by waves, being tested by the ways. And guess what else was being tested? The faith of the disciples. But one thing you can say for certain, these guys were persistent in their obedience to Christ. They were still trying to go against the waves to get to the other side like he told them. But the boat was being battered The disciples were tired, they were depressed, they were probably discouraged, and they're probably wondering, why did Jesus send us out into a storm where we might die? And you know, many times when we're in a trial, the devil attacks us at our weakest point, doesn't he? When we're tired, when we're depressed, when we're discouraged, When we're sick, that's when he comes, and that's when he attacks. Well, how should the disciples, how should they have reacted to this trial? Well, first of all, growing faith remembers. They needed to remember God's promises. They needed to remember God's word. They needed to remember God's past actions in their behalf. Um, They should have thought of things like Psalm 139, verse 8. It says, 
If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell, listen to this, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will lay hold of me. They should have thought of Psalm 42. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Or Psalm 18, too. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. So they should have thought about God's word, but they also should have remembered how God had helped them in the past. Remember the story in Matthew 8, 23. There was another storm on the Sea of Galilee. David talked about it last week. And the, the waves were so large that the disciples again thought they were going to die. They thought they were going to drown. And they became so fearful. What did they do? They went to the back of the boat and they woke up Jesus. And they said, don't you care that we are perishing? And what did Jesus do? Stood up and said, hush, be still. Can you imagine that? Just those words, hush, be still, and everything stopped. The waves stopped. Can you imagine seeing that and then forgetting about it the next storm you're in? But don't we do the same thing? You know, we get into a trial. God comes. He helps us through the trial. And then six months later, we face the same trial and we forget about how God helped us. And what do we do? We try to solve it ourselves. And many times, we fall flat on our face because we're not remembering God's Word. We're not remembering God's actions in the past, how He helped us. Well, look at verse 25 through 27. Growing faith is assured of God's love. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus waited till the fourth watch. And like I said before, that was nine hours later. They were on the sea for nine hours fighting this storm. Why did Jesus wait? Why did Jesus wait? Can you imagine being in a storm at sea? Um, some of us have been. <laughs> uh, I've been. But... Can you imagine being in a storm for nine hours thinking you're going to die? And, and, and the disciples were probably wondering, why did Jesus send us out here? Doesn't he care about us? Doesn't he love us? I remember one time I went out to sea with a friend of mine in high school. We were crazy teenagers. We were in a 16-foot boat. We went out Palm Beach Inlet, which is a huge inlet. Freighters come in, you know, uh, and go to the port of West Palm Beach. We went out this inlet, went out seven miles, seven or eight miles. You couldn't see the shoreline. We're out there in this little dinky boat, and we're watching freighters go by, going, Oi, mate! You know? 
crazy, right? But as a teenager, you're invincible, right? Yeah. So after we've done that a few times before and that summer, and then finally we came back in that day, and as we were coming back in, a storm blew up like they do in Florida, quickly, like the Sea of Galilee too. And the waves started getting bigger and bigger and bigger until when we finally got to the inlet, they were about five-foot waves. And my friend, who later went into the Navy, became a Navy SEAL, and that was a good calling for him, he drove the boat in. My, I was bare-knuckle on the railing, you know, holding on for dear life. And my friend drove this boat in, basically surfing the waves. I mean adjusting the speed of the boat so the wave in the back didn't crash into the back of the boat and not going too fast to where you go over the front of the wave and flip the boat, right? He put it in and we got in safely. But can you imagine? That was just a few minutes. This is nine hours. Nine hours. And Jesus waited. But you know what? Jesus waited in other stories in the Bible. Do you remember the story of Martha and Mary and Lazarus? Jesus hears from a servant of theirs that you're, the one that you love is sick. You need to come, right? You need to come to help Lazarus. And what does Jesus do? It even says he loved Lazarus. He loved Martha and Mary. And what did he do? Waited two more days. Waited two more days. And then he comes. And you know what happened. Lazarus was already dead. Why did he wait? Ultimately for the glory of God. We know that. But also for Martha and Mary and everybody that was there to see Lazarus raised from the dead for them to either come to faith or to grow in their faith. And I can imagine Lazarus kind of grew in his faith too, don't you think? After being resurrected, yeah. When we're going through trials, many times we wonder, why isn't God answering my prayers? Like with my mom, why is he waiting? Why is he waiting? And he might be waiting just so we can grow a little bit more in our faith, like Martha and Mary and like the disciples. But you know what? Some trials last a day, some can last a week, but some can even last a lifetime. Some can even last a lifetime. Like the Apostle Paul, remember he had a problem. He had a physical problem, some think it's, it was a, a spiritual problem, but whatever the problem was, he asked the Lord in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 8, he said, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and what was God's answer? He said this, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So he didn't heal him, right? He didn't solve the problem. He allowed it to continue. And what, what was Paul's reaction to it? He says, Therefore, I'm going to boast in my weakness that the power of God may be displayed in me. Wow. He grew in it, didn't he? He grew in it. I've seen other lifetime problems. My parents faced a lifetime problem. My brother, 
came home from college one day, and um, he was saying that the professors were plotting against him, and my mom took him to a psychiatrist, and he was diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, and that was a problem that went his entire life and my mom's entire life, and, and my mom and dad dealt with it their entire lives, and this is what my mom wrote about this in a lesson she was teaching. She said this, I've learned a great deal in my lifetime from my marriage, my nursing, my raising my children. She was a nurse. My raising my children, watching my five grandchildren, now 11, uh, grandchildren mature. But there's nothing in my life that can compare with the lessons God has taught me through my son, Bill. I have learned to trust in the provisions of the Lord and find the peace that surpasses all understanding in the midst of Bill's struggle. Like the psalmist David, my experiences through Bill's trials have taught me that with my finite mind, I can have but a slight glimpse into the infinite mind of God. I have matured to the degree that I know I must be satisfied with what God allows in my life as he teaches me in his word, be still and know that I am God. God has a special purpose for our lives. To glorify him, whatever means he uses, is his perfect way. God does not ask us, listen to this, God does not ask us to understand. He demands we acquiesce. He does not ask us to understand he demands we acquiesce. We either get better or bitter. We don't shift into neutral. How are you doing in your trials? Are you getting better or are you getting bitter? Look at verse 27. I love this verse. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. He comes at the right moment. He knows what's going on in his disciples' hearts, right? And he says, it is I. You know what a better translation would be? It is I am. It is I am. He's using the name for God in Exodus 3.14 that Moses was told, you know, who's sending me to Pharaoh? I am is sending you. He uses the same name. He's saying, I am God. I am the self-existent one. I am the one who controls everything. I can calm the sea. Right? You do not have to fear. You do not have to fear. Well, look at verse 28 through 31. Growing faith acts. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, or it would be better to say, since it is you, since it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So the if there would be better sense... You know, Peter was impetuous, but he wasn't crazy. He wasn't going to get out of a perfectly good boat to go to a ghost he did not know in a storm at sea. 
Instead of jumping overboard, Peter asked Christ to command him to come. He asked him to come. You know, think about this. Where did, where did Peter want to get to? He wanted to get out of the boat and get to be close to Christ where he knew he would be safe. He wanted to be right next to the one who loved him. Right? Right? It kind of reminds me of the movie Forrest Gump. You remember Forrest Gump? He's in the, the, the shrimp boat. He's coming down the river, and he's driving the shrimp boat. And, and all of a sudden, he's going along. He's the only one in the boat. He's driving the boat, right? And he sees Lieutenant Dan on the dock, and he says, Lieutenant Dan! Lieutenant Dan, right? And Lieutenant's going, hey, Forrest! And, and he loves Lieutenant Dan. Why? Because he went through war with him. He protected him. He loved him, and, and, and Forrest protected him, too, saved his life, right? But what does he do? He jumps in the water and leaves the boat going. Reminds me of Peter. Peter did the same thing, remember? Jumps in the water, swims to Jesus. He was impetuous, but Peter wasn't crazy. So he gets out of the boat, and he starts walking, and he has no problems as long as he keeps his eyes on Christ, right? But what does he do? He starts looking at, at the water, looks at the waves, feels the wind, and starts getting scared and starts sinking. And you know what? What we do is immediately we start thinking, Peter, messing up again. Peter, messing up again. But guys, think about the other 11 disciples that are sitting in the boat. Peter's the only one who got out of the boat. He got out of the boat of presumed safety to go to the one who is true safety, Christ. What about you? The world says we should avoid trials at any cost. The world says that comfort is the name of the game. You know, many times comfort can become our idol, right? And so we try to avoid any problems at any cost. We have a problem in our marriage, so we're tempted to what? Get a divorce. We have uh, too high a taxes, so we're tempted to cheat. Uh, salary reduction, uh, bad economy, we're tempted to stop tithing. One author says this about faith. Faith is increased by taking it to the extremities that have never been experienced. The Lord takes us as far as our faith will go, and when it ends, we begin to sink. It is then that we call out to him, and he demonstrates his faithfulness and power. And our faith learns to extend that much further. You know, when you step out in faith like Peter did, that's when you get to see God intervening for you. That's when you get to see God intervening in your behalf. Look at the last two verses. Growing faith worships Christ. When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. What had the disciples seen that day? They'd seen 20,000 people fed with five loaves of bread, two fish. They'd seen Jesus come to their rescue 
walking on water. They'd seen Peter walking on water. They'd witnessed Jesus calm the seas and bring the boat immediately to the other side, it says in the other Gospels. The results were that they recognized God's Son and they worshipped Him. In closing, years ago, when Jill, my oldest daughter, was around four or five years old, we started thinking, we want to have another one, right? But we didn't have one because that was a trial in our life. We couldn't. So we were thinking of adopting again. And so we started praying, God, give us another child. And we went to adoption agencies and did our responsibility, which you're supposed to do, right? And then you trust that God will provide. Well, eventually, the agencies didn't call back, and, you know, we didn't, had no results from them. And finally, one day, a lady came to me. She ran Mom's Morning Out. I don't know if you all remember that, Mom's Morning Out. She came to me, and she said, there's a lady in Mom's Morning Out that's thinking about adoption. And she said, you might want to talk to her. So I went over and talked to her. And she said, yeah, I'm thinking about it and all that, but man, I'm not sure. I said, okay, that's fine, that's fine. And I went away praying, God, okay, you know, if this is supposed to happen, it'll happen. Well, two months later, this lady calls me. And I knew right when I saw it, I said, she, she's changed her mind. And she called me and she said, I want you and Denise to be my daughter's parents. And I, I will never forget, I was over in Building C, and I walked out to the breezeway over here, and I just looked up into the sky, and I worshiped. Seeing God intervene in your life in a trial, where he says, I'm here. You don't have to fear. I can do what you need me to do. And he answers our prayers. You know, God hasn't promised you that you're not going to have any more trials this year. In fact, we faced a lot, right, in the past year and a half. But what he has promised us is that he will be with us through the trial. Through the trial, he will give us power so that we can live for his glory and so that we can grow our faith God's way. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit who indwells us. We thank you that for the faith that we have, that even if we have the faith of a mustard seed, it will move mountains. Lord, we we thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you for the gift of repentance. We pray that even in the midst of trials, Lord, that we won't forget you. We won't forget the ways that you've helped us before. We won't forget your word. We won't forget your love. We will rest in you and trust in you no matter what we see. Help us to walk by faith, Lord, no matter what, and help us to grow more and more 
like you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.